0: The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman.
2: The Pure Hoops podcast. We are back to close out September. Eric Newman in New York, BJ Armstrong in LA. Obviously, media days and training camp are around the corner but uh, BJ, first we had a chance to uh, have a very esteemed guest on the pod today—the one and only Sam Smith, who of course uh, recently worked with Derek Rose on his uh, on his new book. And I know you've got a great history with Sam. Yes, I do. And uh, you know, Sam
1: covered me when I first came in the NBA in 1989, and this takes our relations back 25 plus years uh, that I've been knowing Sam, and and now having an opportunity. Uh, To work in the representation side of the business and working with a client such as Derek Rose. And uh, when we first approached Sam uh, with the possibility of taking on this project, you know, he was our dream option to have to work with Derek in that capacity, knowing his understanding of basketball there in Chicago, the city of Chicago, and knowing Derek's story from afar because he covered Derek. And we were just thrilled uh, when Sam said yes and I thought he did a great job of capturing the essence of you know who Derek is uh, what he means to the city what the city means to him and being able to capture his voice so uh, we were just overwhelmed with the response of the book and how the fans have responded with it but more importantly uh, how Sam was able to work with Derek in that capacity and be able to really put out such a great great read
2: that uh we're we're just thrilled with from the jordan rules to i'll show you bj armstrong and i with the one and only sam smith we now welcome sam smith longtime nba writer and columnist currently works for bulls.com sam is also the co-author of Derek rose's new book i'll show you sam appreciate you jumping on with bj and i obviously you and jay have quite a history from chicago but thanks for taking the time uh, everything good on your end, especially after the uh, the release of the book?
0: Well, it can't be better being involved with uh, BJ in any project. So it uh, just elevates my profile, if not my legacy as well. So uh, I'm very excited.
2: Yeah, Sam, I feel the same way every week doing the show with BJ. You should. He, just continues, he continues to elevate my level to new We're heights. Very
0: fortunate to be in that position, both of us today. So uh,
2: I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I know it's Sam you know I've I've always wanted to ask you this what was it like covering before we get to the Derrick Rose and the book and you did such a wonderful job but I have to ask you this question what was it like covering a young BJ Armstrong uh because I was there the day
0: uh you came in with Stacey King and there uh, was it Jeff Sanders that's
1: right. Was That's your, correct. 1980, that not, 1989, eighty-nine. That is
0: correct. Eighty-nine, where Jerry Jerry Krause and and in theory, it 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 should have worked out uh, better, it, but it was not a great draft class. You know, not, not no no offense included. Although uh, the rights, as I recall, uh, none taken, required.
1: Sam, none taken.
0: <laughs> your rights were require, are, are required are acquired for Brad Sellers. I think. I don't know if you you remember that. Yes. Um but the Bulls didn't originally have the pick. Actually Jerry had done uh, it, 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 I mean you could say it was a remarkable job. Jerry had Jerry w- was a forerunner of what became in recent years, you know, all the uh, tanking. And really Jerry essentially invented that in 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 the well didn't completely cuz Bill Fitch did and that led to the lottery in 84. But th- that was Jerry's plan when in '84, when in '85, when Jerry Reinsdorf Group brought the Bulls and they had Michael Jordan there already, and they had a bunch of older players, Gene Banks and um, Joanna Oldham and Krauss, you know, sort of did this addition by subtraction thing where he was he was able to and effectively effect, effectively trying to lose, which alienated Jordan, you know, because people don't forget, you know, in Michael's first ten playoff games he lost nine. Uh, but that's because Krauss was offloading all this talent, and they had moderate talent, and they could have been, you know, 40, 40-some win team in mid-40s and stuck there. But he kept trading off these uh, players for talent, you know, to lo- lose games not to the extent the Sixers did, <clears throat> which was sort of criminal, and probably most of those guys should have been in prison. But that aside, that's probably another podcast. Um, so yeah, Sam,
2: those, had- 80, those eighty-six, eighty-seven Bulls rosters that snuck into the playoffs, those were those were some thin rosters. And does uh, quickly does this tie back to the debate about whether or not they wanted Michael to come back for the stretch run of '86, which of course led to him play against the Celtics and having the 63-point game in the first round wasn't there a lot of debate that they wanted to keep him out of the lineup and stay out of the playoffs?
0: I I think Jerry uh, Krause did probably he he wouldn't have minded because he would have uh, in, in in what became popularized in recent years he would have preferred the draft pick and let it go. But that you know it's it's a good point that you bring up and and there's a distinction you know, people talk about Jordan and the greatest and everything he achieved. But but to me, what, one of the great distinctions between Michael and the current era of players is he wanted to play all the time, and he insisted on playing. And, in fact, people, many don't remember, in the standard, as B.J. would know, the standard NBA contract, you can't do certain things. You know what, J. Williams had his contract voided. In his motorcycling accident, and I think there was an occasion with the Knicks, somebody got injured. I forgot which guy was. And and so you had to get, and, and plus basketball games, you had to get approval to play in, in sanctioned basketball games. Michael, in his first contract, had this clause put in saying, I can play basketball whenever I want, wherever I want. It became to be known as the love of the game clause. There's no other player in the league had because he just wanted to play all the time. And so you know, that that comes up. He broke his foot the third game of the year. And, and typical of Michael, he, he went back to North Carolina the rehab instead of staying in Chicago so he could play pickup basketball. So he's back <laughs> playing pickup basketball back in North Carolina you know, like a month after breaking his foot. And then it, the doctors did say, did tell, the, you know, the Bulls that if he did this again, there was a threat of you know, his career not being able to have a career. So the Bulls, being cautious, Jerry Reinsdorf particularly said you know, it's not worth it. You know, in the famous they had this famous meeting where Reinsdorf makes an example and says, Well look, if there's ten pills in a bottle and you got a headache and one of them has cyanide and the other good for headache pulls, would you take them? And so Michael says <laughs> Well, it depends on how bad the headache is.
2: <laughs> you <know>. That's amazing. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's our show promo for today. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, and,
0: and, you know, and that was that was Michael's, you know, sort of mm-hmm. Michael's way, but his competitiveness, everything about him. So, so he insists that he play. So they come up with this odd, you know, minutes thing, which not his crazy minutes thing they have now too. You know, which is all, you know. Right. Fake science. There's no science to any of that crap that they do with load management and all of that. The guys just don't want. And not, the guys just don't want to compete like they like. And I'm not just saying it's great then and not great now. It's great. It's great now. Guys, guys are are better athletes and they're fabulous talents. But you know, like like what Kawhi Leonard did last last year was an embarrassment. Sitting out 20 games. for no essential reason, and the Raptors had to go along, obviously. Um, but – and I'll, I'll drift along. I, I answer long, and I don't know if that's good for it's – it's probably not good no, for – No,
2: all you know, good. I'm about to bring
0: you back to Jay, the BJ, B.J. question. Yes. B.J.'s point about – I remember usually the usually the questions of first year – was that it, it should have been, you know, this bounty because the Bulls had three first-round draft picks along with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Horace Grant. And it turns out, you know, it wasn't a great draft. Purvis Ellison was the number one pick. And if you go back at that 89 draft, actually, you know, if, you, if that's one of those drafts that you did again, B.J. would be a top 10 pick um, <laughs> based on his career, right? which included a, a starting berth in the All-Star game. Right, B.J.?
1: Right, that's correct. That is correct. B.J. voted know. an All-Star
0: uh-huh. starter. That's uh-huh. that's some uh-huh. trivia uh-huh. that I'm sure maybe you didn't even know. <laughs>
1: um, but
0: B.J. BJ was... Uh, in in a difficult position because he came in as the point next point guard to follow John Paxson who had established himself as maybe the only other guy at that time, Michael really had confidence in and really liked playing with and who didn't shoot the ball very much. So Michael really liked that. And so, um, you know, BJ came in It's interesting BJ uh, you know, was sort of a modern guard of this era uh, where he he would have been, you know, he 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 came probably 20 years too early because in this era, he would have been, he was more of a scoring guard. And if you scored, he could have scored in the bulls, you know, were more of a, with the triangle, you know, triple post offense system, more mm-hmm. of a pattern system. Right. So it was interesting to watch BJ because he, he you know, he tried to, uh, basically sort of like a jigsaw puzzle he tried to struggle find his way to be the piece that filled out the puzzle and and did a good job of it you know by sacrificing a lot personally you know the interesting part i and i wrote about that in the jordan rules was you know BJ was hard to get to know early on it wasn't it effusive as he is these days but uh <laughs> i remember there was a he had gone to he was showing me i was asking him about playing with jordan back then which was difficult for all of them because michael was so dominant and so good and so demanding and so frustrated because the team was not succeeding on the level that he he wanted you know compared to bird and magic and all and so BJ had gone to the library, and you might have to help your listeners tell what that is now. These days, I don't know if much used, use, but uh, to look at books, to you know, to get books on genius, on excellence, um, to try to see how it, it would work to fit in with Jordan. I thought that was a really, you know, really impressive thing to try to do, uh, you know, for a young player struggling, you know, on, on a basketball level.
2: Yeah, BJ's. Uh, BJ, you're a pretty bright guy. Part of the time, it's, uh, uh, it's good, yeah, it's
0: uh, no, it's well. The only problem was BJ asked me to read him the books, so
1: though. Was- <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Sam. So, I, I just before we move forward, what do you recall, Sam, when Jerry bought the team in 1984? Right, who you know, you and I are both very good friends with. We're fond of Jerry. Do you recall what was the number? Because when I look at these. When I look at these, these teams are, he bought the team for $16 million in 1984. Right. Wow. 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 What, that's so, and, and
0: it's probably doubled in value
1: since then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, let me check into that, Sam. Let's check into
2: that. Well, well, <laughs> well let's uh, – That's amazing. So, so, Sam, just, just to to spin it forward from, you know, the, the great era that BJ was a part of and then obviously, um, you know, Derek Rose, a, a local kid – from Chicago, drafted number one. What what was the feeling in the city when uh, when Derek went number one, and what was that anticipation like before he, he put on the Bulls uniform for the first time?
0: The interesting part about it, I mean, Derek you grew up in Chicago and was a local legend, uh, prodigy, really. You, you, you know, from B.J. You know these things better than I would, but having worked with Derek on his, his book and – and learning more about his history. I didn't know, you know, all the prep history and and the Bulls, you know, had been a, a, a good playoff team and, 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 had, you know, not great, but they were winning 50 games and, and then they had a, you know, a down season, the coach got fired and they ended up, you know, ninth And the, so there was really no anticipation that we're ever going to be able to draft a player like that. Um, and, and it, it sort of fooled me in the sense too, you know, because Derek, yeah, you know, to me, um and obviously biased, having worked with Derek and known Derek, that he's as misunderstood as any player really ever. And a lot of people are misunderstood because you just don't know him And part of it is the title of the book. I'll show you rather than I'll tell you. Derek has never been one who's either good at or open to really. You know, he's always was very friendly and open and cooperative, but was not going to tell you his life. But if you look back, it, there were some extraordinary things he did in, in, in the high school championship game when he was a senior. He scored two points. And for uh, so the reason he did it, he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose because he wanted to help his teammates get college scholarships. Uh, and to me, that was one of the most extraordinary things I had ever heard because, you know, it's first of all, something you never see. A guy's natural proclivity is to score. But Derek knew and he understood that he could dominate the game from any position. I mean, really, he didn't even play point guard in, in high school. He played small forward because his buddy was the point guard, and he didn't, he didn't want to take the job from his friend. And he, You know, he could do that. He could play. I mean, basically, he was point forward. Um, and he, may, he tells the story of when Calipari, John Calipari, came to recruit him and said, he was shocked. He said, why aren't you playing point guard? And so he said, well, I can, you know, I just don't. And, of course, so he ends up getting two points, and but but they win easily and because he wants to help his teammates and, and because he's about winning the game. And, and, and so he goes to college, gets his no, nothing program into the, you know, final game, which they lose like, overtime, whatever it was, and is in a big score. You know, be and and again, he's trying to really you know help his teammates. And so when he came to, you know, when he's about to be drafted number one, the notion wasn't that you know this we're getting this is the next LeBron James or the next big thing. In fact, there was a serious debate uh, leading up to that draft uh, about taking Michael Beasley mm-hmm. and because the Bulls had, Bills had Kirk Heinrich, who was you know not great, but he he was a near all-star, made the USA team once. Uh, He had been a number one pick a couple of years before, and he needed scoring. And Beasley was viewed as, you know, he was going to be the next Kevin Durant. And it came from, you know, the same conference, averaged 30 points, you know, so it's very similar career trajectory. And so, and it was debate among the Bulls. They'll deny it, you know, still. But I I think they got to a few days or, before the draft and they weren't sure whether they were going to pick Beasley or Rose. So, and the notion was, yeah, he, he can be a really good player, but he's not never going to score that much because you looked, he had two points in his high school championship game. He averaged 15 or 16, whatever it was in uh, uh, Memphis. You know, he wasn't a great shooter. Of course, that was this. That was what they said about Jordan when he came to the NBA. Can't shoot. Never going to be a great scorer. You know, I averaged 17 points in college, so never going to be a scorer like that because he can't shoot. And so, you know, the notion that Derek was going to be this player that that he became. You know, a guy who was, you know, MVP, uh, capable of leading the league in scoring and he could carry a team like that. Nobody. We didn't see that. Maybe BJ saw that. And none of us saw that. So. Um, it, it was. It, it sort of. It, it sort of. Not that it became a complete surprise because we knew everybody knew how talented he was, but to have the impact he had, that that really was amazing on an NBA level. You know, one of the things I I want to mention is you know there's always this talk, and Derek was asked about it. He did a couple of interviews in the book uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, before the book was uh, released. And he always gets asked this question about, you know, being in the Hall of Fame, uh, because every, every NBA player has ever been uh, an MVP is in the Hall of Fame or, you know, likely to be Steph Curry and Harden, whatever. And, and the radio commentators always say, well, it'll be uh, everybody but Derek Rose. And, and I as Derek's answer was, you know, he had a nice answer to it. He said, you know, I, I, I'm a Hall of Famer. To me, for what I, you know, where I came from, and Derek's story is a remarkable story about growing up in that neighborhood in the south side of Chicago and all that stuff. But I like this, I like this answer about that. But I also do think he, he will be in the Hall of Fame and should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's what I refle- and obviously I'm biased, uh, I haven't seen so much of him, but the, there, there are a lot of Hall of Famers. Hall of Fame is not just longevity. You know, putting up a lot of numbers over a lot of years. It's also impact. You know, Bill Walton's a great example of that. Had a very short career, but fabulous impact. And if you're if you win the MVP in a year, that LeBron James, you know, one of the elite players in the history of the game, is not only in his prime, but completely healthy. And that's one of the most impactful things that that you can do in a career. And then you add that on to You know the high school thing, the college thing. um, You know, as a rookie, uh, ties uh, equals Kareem's record for most points in a playoff game. You know, multiple All Stars and going to, you know, averaging you know 20, 19, 20, whatever it was, and then you know now being able to come back and get 50 points. I mean, you look at guys like Grant Hill. Uh, you know, uh, you know Bernard King. Guys were injured and came back. You know Derek, Derek, because of his accomplishments in total, what he's done uh, and the impact of it. To me, that that's Hall of Fame credentials. So anyway, I went on a little tangent there. No, no, that. no. Something I always wanted to mention.
1: Absolutely, no, Sam. You know, you've you've had an opportunity that that. I can't even say a few that really only you have had an opportunity outside of his immediate circle have seen him in, in working with him so closely like you have and, and the things that he was able to share, what was one of the most surprising things that you found out about Derek Rose that you just weren't aware of? I mean, you've covered him, you've seen him, but then you've, now you were able to peek behind the curtain because he's, you know, he doesn't open up a lot. He doesn't talk a lot. Uh What was one of the right. most surprising it, things that you that you saw that you could share? Well,
0: you know, that, and that's always why Derek's been misjudged a lot. And, and, and part of it is, right, he, he does. And, and a lot of guys, a lot of people, it's hard, you know, it's hard to open up. Uh, you know, I always, always felt uh, the inequity, especially in this era of the NBA, that, you know, Kids are coming in as teenagers, and then just because you're in an adult job, you're expected to be an adult, and which includes in this particular job, um, you know, the articulation part of it, the, the verbalizing, the interviews. And, that, you know, De- Derek has been indicted several times for things he said, which were you know, badly misinterpreted uh, to, to give the implication that he didn't want to play, which couldn't be more more opposite and I think his career trajectory shows that you know coming back numerous times I mean you see like a guy like Andrew Luck and you know no no criticism of it I I certainly agree and sympathize with what he went through but the people don't understand about a year going through rehab coming back and being injured again or unable to perform at your level and yet, Derek has continued to fight through that so many times. It's been amazing. But you know, it's one of there's it's, it's, it's so many things. I, and I knew one of the reasons I haven't done books like this, you know, with somebody. But I wanted to. I was I was uh, honored that you'd asked me, and Derek asked me to help with this um, because I knew he had been uh, so unfairly maligned, uh, so misunderstood. And have such a decency about him. Uh, actually, one it wasn't it wasn't in the books. One of my favorite stories was when we would go into Philadelphia. Um, Harvey Pollock, you know, the famous PR media guy. He was the guy who held up the 100 sign in Wilt's game. I mean, one of the great historic figures in the NBA. And uh, Harvey would always come to meet the the Rookie, a new player. And so he said to me, I'd like to meet Derek Rose. I said, Oh, yeah, sure. And I brought him over to the locker and I was telling Derek about, you know, what Harvey, you know, who he was and what he went through and, you know, Wilt, he worked with Wilt all those years in Philly and it's still, it's and so Derek, Derek was, you know, really interested. And he said, he, and he turned to Harvey and he said, Can I get your autograph? <laughs> I thought that was just the coolest thing I saw. But um, one of the things from the book that was interesting me and always struck me that, that uh, I was almost jealous in a in, in sense that, um, you know, we know Derek is very close. You know, family means so much to him. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he's a great father with his kids, close with his brother and his mom. And, you know, a lot of people have known about that. But, you know, he grew up in, in this horrendous situation. I mean, we hear blend plenty about the South side of Chicago. And a lot of it is, you know, overstated. Um, but, you know, he, he did, he, he, he was, he played ball in a park where they had to recognize the sound of gunshots and and they learned that if gun, you know, they learned to uh, learn that, to hear that when they came closer than two blocks away, that's, and then they would go home. And so, you know, to, to, compare yourself or to think you understand what you know people like Derek went through growing up you have no idea you know and that's just one example and as you know bj from the family uh you know they, there was a dozen people in the house and he was like you know he lived in a in a closet you know closets were turned into bedrooms and had this you know really tough situation had to move many times and he was talking about the kids in the neighborhood and 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 how all the kids even despite everything you know his mom had to put down uh, rat poison at night so they don't get you know bites and stuff like that and how all the kids in the neighborhood always wanted to play at his house because it was so much fun and you would think god ah, what a terrible situation but that was the to me the the thing that stuck out about the nature of his family this extended family and this group of cousins and brothers and everybody living there's grandmother, you know, how how close the family was and how loving and how, how together they were. And it's part of why, you know, I think, you know, Derek is not so outspoken because it's in, you know, everything is kept within this sort of private group and And the fact that I you know I remember you know growing up my nobody wanted to come to my house <laughs> it wasn't a fun place, and you know to 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 grow up in that sort of situation and all the kids wanting to always come and hang out at Derek's house really you know told me something about the quality of you know what kind of family that was, and despite what we would say about you know what a horrible you know early life and all, you know, you know, what a loving and fun place that was. And I, I, that really kind of struck me and I kind of liked that story.
2: Now he's had a, uh, he's had an incredible journey. Uh, you, you know, the, the clip from um, his 51 point game with the Timberwolves was actually in uh, a recent uh, ESPN segment that Derek was a part of for uh, a new show called uh sneaker center. And I was watching it the other day and I I was almost in tears as Derek was in the clip because you think about what this guy has been through and you just described things from his childhood that I think most people don't know, whether it's, you know, living in a closet or knowing when gunfire was too close and you had to go home from the park, you you can't help but root for this guy. So uh, it's, it's so great that he's still in the league. It's so great you guys were able to collab on the book. Obviously your knowledge of, Chicago Bulls and Chicago basketball in general is uh, is second to none. So Sam, that, that leads me to uh, a segment we do on each, almost each show before we let you go. Uh, because of BJ's uh, career window, he was in the glorious era of the 1990s. So we do something called Back to the 90s where BJ shares something that I put him on the spot about from that era. Back to the 90s we go. So, obviously, you writing the Jordan rules, uh, you know that era very well. Can you share something with us that is uh, super special and unique about traveling with that first Bulls championship team, 91, uh, BJ's uh, second season with the Bulls? Uh,
0: Well, those are, are, you know, hard off the top of your head because, you know, the difference was, you know, back then – you know we didn't you know i i i traveled even though i was working for the chicago tribune then we all traveled together and we traveled in uh you know there there wasn't there wasn't a private airplane (laughs) we were traveling we were flying commercial commercial. that's right right you know it seemed i mean if you mention that i'm sure bj runs into that with so many of his clients who hey, Seth, hey, you
1: you, re, you remember this, Sam? Not only were we traveling commercial. Remember, we used to all have to carry our own uniforms on the plane and our shoes. Right. yeah, So,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, and and the hotels, you, know, you, you
0: you remember too? We used to stay at, uh, uh, you know, the Sheridan Airport uh, yes. on the grounds <laughs> of the Cleveland Hopkins Airport. You know, just, I mean, you know, a lot of the facilities. You know, one thing always sticks out to me, and again, you know, it's sort of tangentially involved, in, in but it, but but it is one of my sort of pet peeve things, and it's coming up with preseason and all. And in that era, you know, pre, I think they, they played eight or nine preseason games. Now it's you know it's again cut again four, and 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 what really upset me was football, where guys don't play at all. Nobody plays it's unbelievable, they charge people but there was a sense and I, again, I'm getting into the old man stuff about the old times are good and again, I qualified this is a, this is a great time, players are great the league's great, things always get better, I'm a believer in progress but, you know, one of the things we, BJ would remember that we would travel around and, and I don't know if game in it was a game in Lincoln, Nebraska I remember that and Michael had played Uh, you know, everybody played all the games, you know, everybody played the 25, 30 minutes and because it was games. And so they had said to Michael about taking the game off and, you know, he could rest. And he he said, you know, no, he said, you know, he said, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska. Most of these people, they don't ever get a chance to see an NBA game. And he understood who he was and who the Bulls were and other guys did too. You know, BJ and from that group, Horace and, Um, You know, uh, uh, Scotty, and they understood their responsibility to the game and the league, but the game is much. And they all come out and they go and they play 30 minutes and play this, you know, incredibly competitive game and put on a great show. And that's what's missing still. Again, you know, you know, know, in in the NBA now, it's there's great talent, there's great players. Um, You know, players are able to do things that players of PJ zero couldn't do. Uh, as far as athletically, but that that willing that that appreciate and, and I and I love the fact that the players, you know, the players to me have done a better job in distributing. I know everyone gets upset about super teams, but I think the players have done a great job and free agency has been great. I think it's, it's helped the league. It's made the league more vibrant and popular. I think the players this year have done a fabulous job about distributing themselves around the league. I think there's going to be a great season because of that. Uh, Probably the most competitive season since the mid nineties when Michael took off for a couple of years with, you know, you couldn't figure out a a favorite, but that, that struck me traveling back then when we would travel around in the preseason and go to these, you know, non NBA places and everybody wanted to play. And everyone wanted to play a lot. And, uh, that's something I, that's something I miss, and I really appreciated that. You know, the players in that era uh, had had such an appreciation and respect for the game and and the fans who were coming that they didn't want to let those people down.
2: Yeah, love that, and and that's the era of basketball I, I fell in love with as a kid uh, before becoming a teenager. So, Sam, going to leave you with this: the Bulls were bought for sixteen million dollars. In 1984, they are currently valued at $2.9 billion, a pretty good investment.
0: Yeah, my salary hasn't uh, <laughs> been affected by inflation quite as much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which is probably was... why I'm done your podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, that we does. can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough, Sam, and... Anytime, it's yeah, I got plenty pleasure. of stories. Yeah. Yeah, Play plenty Oh, well, that's great. Uh, thank you so much again, Sam. And uh God, we've been friends now for over thirty years or so. And, yeah, uh, and you know,
0: yeah, and that's the thing. BJ is the only guy who hasn't aged in those thirty
1: years. <laughs> Pretty remarkable. <laughs> Same way Yeah, no, it's uh well great. Well, thanks so much, Sam. It's a pleasure. You did a wonderful job uh here with the, the book and um it's a great story uh, that
0: they're they're they're, you know really proud of Derek for you know for telling that story telling it his way and you know not holding back anything and I I think I think you know his fans and and you know how popular and that's one of the things you mentioned before I don't want to hold you guys up but that 50 point game what struck me as much as two things one was it was competitive right down to the end it wasn't one of those you know a lot of guys get 50 and they're just taking crazy shots or whatever, and yeah, he needed those shots at the end to win, which is the essence of Derek. And the other thing was the outpouring around the NBA. You, he is so beloved by other players, and then that was what stood out after that. How, not how, how happy fans were as well, you know, our media or people who knew him, but how happy other players in the league were, and, and uh, that's really something special.
2: Great stuff. The one and only Sam Smith on the Pure Hoops podcast. Sam, thanks again. We'll talk to you again soon and, and hopefully some uh, some more excitement around these young baby bulls this season.
0: All right, guys. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Sam.
2: Uh, BJ, that was fun. Sam's got so many stories. And, you know, one thing he said that really has little to do with Derek, even though Derek is on the Detroit Pistons this year, but um, he alluded to the fact that we're going into a, a season um, where – we're not sure who is going to be matched up in the finals. There's no clear favorite. And really, one of the last times you could truly say that was back in the mid-'90s, 25 years ago, when Michael Jordan was retired uh, between three Peets. But uh, I found that interesting, and and it makes me that much more excited for the season ahead.
1: Well, yes, it is. There's There's definitely some optimism in the air from a number of teams, you know, from... You know, just from the simple fact of, you know, constantly we're debating who's the best player. Uh, I think in a long time since that Jordan, when Jordan stepped away for a couple of years, where now there are a number of players who feel that they could be or should be the considered the best player in the league. You know, you have Giannis, who was the MVP. You have players like James Harden. You have Russell Westbrook. You know, you have... The veteran in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So there are a lot of players. Um, you know, there's going to be some chains up there in Golden State who over the last five years have been kind of the the favorite if you look on paper. And, you know, look, they they still have two of their all-stars still healthy, but, you know, one is coming back off of an injury. So there are a lot of uncertainties going into the season that we're all speculating about. I think it should be interesting because If we learned anything from last year, uh, I don't recall too many people saying that the Toronto Raptors were gonna win the championship at the beginning of last year. So Kawhi Leonard and what they were able to do now gives a lot of teams the idea of things can go right if we can stay healthy, that anything is possible. So I'm really looking forward to the season this year, Eric, because there are gonna be a lot of questions. There are gonna be a lot of great basketball. And most importantly, there are a lot of teams that feel that they have a chance to really win this championship this year
2: it's going to be a sprint in terms of teams really trying to get ahead for their identity. Uh, As we know, there's a lot of new star pairings. Of course, Kawhi Leonard, the NBA Finals MVP, now with the quote-unquote other team in Los Angeles, teaming up with Paul George. Um, The battle for L.A. is going to be uh, pretty surreal to watch. We've never had this level of talent on both teams in LA before with the Lakers and the Clippers. And of course, LeBron James rested chip on his shoulder. The Lakers have made a lot of roster changes, obviously starting with Anthony Davis. So um, I'm, I I can't wait, not just for, you know, we always talk about the storylines we're going to get into, but you and I always remind ourselves why we love it so much. And that's what happens between the lines. I can't wait to just dig back in and really put the eye test to this stuff and see how teams are meshing and what the chemistry like is in new situations. And then you take a team like the Denver Nuggets, who's pretty much bringing back the same crew, now trying to develop a healthy young Michael Porter Jr. as well, uh, them looking to take the next step towards competing for a championship. Um, uh, I'm really, really excited for for what lays ahead. So great job today, my friend. I hope you have a terrific weekend, just to remind you, I will be in LA next week, so we will be back in the same room. We're going to stack up some great content, and uh, I hope you're ready for me.
1: Um, I'm I'm always ready for you, and uh, let's get it done. And now let's get back to talking about the NBA. It's back, and we're
2: we're back at it. And uh, practice starts next week. Can't wait! Can't wait! Special thanks, as always, to producer Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, editor Ben Wolfen, and the entire pure hoops media team be sure to check out the mike wise show dropping each and every monday catch and shoot interviews we'll have a change with catch and shoot coming up we're going to be running the feature interviews from the show because there's been so many good ones after the last few months those will be coming out on wednesdays as usual buckets boards and blocks with the one and only monica McNaught on thursdays and of course the pure hoops podcast with bj and i coming at you on fridays have a great weekend everybody stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation
0: of Pure Hoops Media.